Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of MCG Rants. I'm Tannen Grace, as always, joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, how you doing, buddy? I am doing well. I've had a a nice week. Um, oh, pretty typical stuff. Played played some trivia the last couple days. Uh, now that softball season is over, I get to do trivia twice a week on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Um, yesterday was actually kind of fun. Uh, so we on Wednesday. Uh, I guess I'll give the full backstory. So on Wednesdays when we play at uh, a place called Martin's, and uh, it's uh, it used to be me, Chris, and Travis, um, and the three of us, if we were all there, called ourselves the Diamond Dogs as our team name, a Ted Lasso reference. Great, great. Maybe my, like, probably favorite or second favorite TV show in the last, like, five years. Yeah, excellent, excellent show. If you haven't watched it, you should. It's it's a 10. Uh, It's an actual 10. Yeah, absolute 10. Uh, so we were all, so we always had the same name, and then once Travis moved at the end of July, we decided to you know retire Retired, that name, yeah. uh, right? And so since then, we've been using the name the Soggy Bottom Boys, a reference to Oh Brother Where Art Thou, mm-hmm. and not uh, a ten, but <laughs> you're not a fan of Oh Brother Where Art Thou? It's fine. I think it's oh, a little God. overrated, but it's fine. It's like one of my it's definitely good. three it's favorite fun. movies but- of all time. It's one of those, look, here's the thing. Obviously, it's very good. It's one of those things where, like, everyone tells you how good it is for a long time, and you never get around to watching it, and then you finally get around to watching it, and you're like, yeah, it was good, but, like, you get what I'm saying? Uh, it, like, it, it makes your expectations too high. It's so good. It's so I well need to rewatch acted. it. I probably haven't watched it's it in, like, funny. a decade. The music yeah. is incredible. Uh, I do have a funny story about it real quick that I know about this. I know that originally they wanted all of the actors to do their own singing, and George Clooney was like, um, okay, and he, like, they said that like they hear him try the very first verse of like the very first thing, and they're like, "Never mind, we'll get somebody else in to sing your parts." Yeah, it just sounds sort of like you because apparently he's just like it's. It's nice to see that he's not just actually perfect. Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, he's yeah. human. Yeah. yeah. So they brought in Dan Tominsky, who uh, yeah. was part of is part of Union Station, Allison Krauss's backing band. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he also Dan Tominsky also sang um the on the Avicii song, "Hey, uh, hey brother." Same oh, hey, yeah, yeah, I know that one. Yeah, uh, yeah w- but for anyone who's listening and wondering what we're talking about, this is our new podcast where we just talk about movies and music. <laughs> yes. Uh, but re- so regardless, like, we- we- the-, the point there, that was a long-winded way of saying, like, we have the same name every week. And, mm-hmm. and we win a lot. Like, sure. Uh, and probably 80% of the time. Right. And we know, we know the host. The host is a, is a friend of mine. And... Uh, after last night, where we won going away, we were actually so the it's four rounds and then a thirty point bonus question at the end, and so our our usual goal is to be up by more than thirty after the four rounds, so the bonus question doesn't matter because it's always some like obscure number, and you whoever gets closest just gets thirty points. So there's a lot of variance, and we don't want to you know subject ourselves to that. So we, we're up by like forty something after the four rounds. And then to rub it in, we also won the bonus question. I was a- I was actually dead on. They convinced me to lower our answer by one, and so we were one off. <laughs> Tilt. Uh, and uh, so that, that's always nice when you get the rubbins. But mm-hmm. as we were closing our tabs, uh, the host comes up to us and tells us that the- there's a team that's there, you know, regularly that always sits in the same place, so he knows them, and they actually stopped h- him. And ask the host if he does trivia anywhere else. And he's like, yeah, I actually do it at this other place on Thursdays. You should come by. 
They're like, oh, good, because we are just so sick of those soggy Bada boys winning every week, mm. which just, it, it just makes me feel so good. Yeah. I, 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 just, I, I relish it. I want to feel the misery of others. Yeah. As which, the, makes, as, which makes and their sense hopelessness. with the, the sports teams that you like. You know, you're like a huge jazz fan. That's all you get. But you just want to bestow onto other people what happens to you. It's, it's actually a charitable thing on, on your side, Ross. That's all it is. Well, actually, the Utah Jazz are the number one team in the Western Conference. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's talk about this again in a month. Having soundly defeated the New Orleans Pelicans. True. The, to be and fair, by soundly, I mean barely holding on to win in overtime. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, to be fair, uh, the Pelicans have actually looked pretty good this this, this year so far. I think they're 3-1 and one with a, a pretty big win against the Mavericks without uh, Zion and without... Uh, yeah, um, Ingram. Uh, but Ingram both, yeah. both of them got injured in the game against the Jazz. Yeah, so <laughs> In- whatever. Ingram didn't play the entire second half and a little bit at the end of the first. And then Zion... Uh, they said he, he got an injury like midway through the, the second half, but... When he sat down, they started actually playing defense, and that's what got them back into the game. So, mm-hmm. not sure if he would have got gone back in anyway. Yeah, uh, I'm sure he would have if he could have. But yeah, they're going to be yeah. really careful with that player, obviously. Yeah, they also just need that. That's my my concern with the Pelicans is can their stars play defense? Because Ingram is long; he has a body that like makes it seem like he can, but he's never been a great defender. McCollum's never been a great defender. Zion is a heinously bad defender. So you've just got three bad defenders. These are three core guys. Yeah, they're all really good. I think your offense is going to be awesome, potentially top five. But I just worry yeah. about their defense. That that's definitely a that's a playoff team. I'm, I'm just yeah, I'm just ready to watch good, but like decent basketball in New Orleans oh, yeah. for the first time. In a and while, it's fun you know? basketball. They're all yeah. fun. Like, they score. Yeah, but yeah, mm-hmm. the Jazz have been super fun basketball too. By the way, yeah, except I- these two games against the Rockets, which were heinously officiated. There were sixty fouls called in last night's game. Is that a lot? There's 48 minutes in an NBA basketball yeah, game. Is that a lot? <laughs> yeah, they they called a foul every like 45 seconds. Yeah, that it, it was awful, just unwatchable. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I the the thing that really uh, that I enjoy the most about the Pelicans, by the way, is that they have this really good young core and it looks like they're up and coming and they're going to be a playoff team this year. And they also just might get like the fifth pick in the draft because the Lakers are so bad. <laughs> Yeah, this, I'm not gonna lie. Just seeing the Lakers being 0 and 4, it's like a like it warms like the cold part of my heart to watch yeah. Anthony Davis like just screw us over. And then B, uh, same thing except insert the name LeBron James. And <laughs> C, I'm just like yes, please keep losing. We want those unprotected picks because I remember when they made that trade. What was like three four years ago at this point now? And I was like, there's a chance they're really bad at this time. And like you know, it was like it could have been hopeful, wishful thinking. But at the same time, like there was a chance LeBron might not have even been there. It was yeah. just going to be AD and like leftovers, you know. So no, exactly. And yeah. it, it, you don't have their pick straight up. It's a swap they have mm-hmm. this year. Sure. But like you know, sure. it'll be great if you're like if you all get like the twenty fourth pick and they yeah, have something in the top picks. ten. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I think we'll swap. Yeah, yeah the sure, Pelicans uh, also have the uh, they have the option to defer that swap until next year if they want to, but. This draft is supposed to be like legendarily good and incredibly deep as well. So, like anything in the lottery, they will gladly take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what if what if the Lakers get like really lucky, go got really really bad, and then randomly like, can you imagine us like, you know, the 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 point seven percenter coming through? We get the number one pick or whatever. Like, yeah, can you, you just add Webb and Yama to this team? That's yeah. just not fair, Tannen. Yeah, well, look, <laughs> it's not. It's already happened twice in the last, like, what, 
12-ish years for us, you know, get us getting AD and us getting Zion. We got extremely lucky to even get the first picks that year, and they were generational talents. So, like, yeah. you know, hey, run good when it matters, you know what I mean? Yeah, better lucky than good. So yeah, Better lucky than good. Um, let's do a little housekeeping with what's coming up. Um, I know that, you know, we've been a little sparing on the on the stuff lately. You and I have been both busy and traveling a lot more lately, you know, with Paper Magic becoming a thing again, me doing Flesh and Blood coverage. And uh, I'm actually not at home right now either. So if I sound different to people or whatever, that's what's going on. I'm actually in Austin, Texas, uh, hanging out with some friends, vacationing a little bit. And I'm recording on somebody else's stuff here. And uh, what was I going to Where was I bringing this to? Oh, uh, next week. Uh, we'll see. You may have to have either a guest or something on next week because I fly out next week to be in California for four or five days because we have uh, the Flesh and Blood World Championships coming up. And That's I in San be- Jose? Yeah, San Jose. I will be hosting that event. As long as we're free Saturday night, like we may have a like an LSS is Watsy for Flesh and Blood, like it's the company yeah. that runs everything, right? So LSS usually treats us to dinner one night with like you know we go out with like all the you know the owner and all the people are there and like we go out and you get to like mingle with the actual company and ask questions and stuff. And also it's just a really nice dinner that I don't have to pay for, so I'm obviously going to go. But if it's not Saturday night, we're going to go to the Sharks game that they have, and I've never been to a hockey game, so. I'm going to spend a lot of money on a ticket. I want to be close to the action and just yell a lot. But at yeah. the same time, you have to, you have to, you have to like protect your voice. So I don't want to repeat of what happened last year at the World Series where I blew a vocal cord. I had to do, <laughs> a, I had to do a three-day event after that and was in obscene amounts of pain. But So I'll be hosting that, maybe doing a little bit of the in-the-booth thing. We're trying out a new, a new thing at this event where I'm going to be more post-roll, maybe in the booth a little bit. But we have five people working this event along with... Um, I'm sure some of our viewers will recognize his name. His name is Eric Lundquist, aka GGG, uh, GG Doa. Uh, big time commentator. He used to live in like Korea doing stuff over there. He's back in America now. He used to do Overwatch League. Like he's huge, right? Like his quote is like three times mine. He's got like 70,000 followers on Twitter, you know, that kind of stuff. Like he's, he's a real boy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like that kind of joke. But, you know, uh, he, he's going to come in because like he's, I, I actually got him into the game. He's liking it. He's he's getting involved, and he wants they want to involve him as well. So it's pretty cool. We're gonna let him be in the booth a little bit. I'm gonna try some stuff out. Um, I will say this: if anybody's interested in watching it, I'm sure some pictures of it will circulate on uh, Twitter. Ross understands where I'm going to this. He's seen a little bit of it. I have a little something fun planned for one of the days of what I'm gonna be wearing, and uh, hopefully we get to pull that off at the right time. And hopefully everybody here either gets to see it or see, sees a picture of it. If don't worry about having to watch the coverage. If you have no idea what's going on, I'm sure it'll get posted in our Discord at some point. But uh, and there might be one more piece to it that I'm I'm thinking about if I can pull off in time for that. But it looks like it's gonna be pretty great. And speaking of that, I know that you know I'll be busy that week, and then we've got Atlanta the week of the was it like November 19th, 20th, and 21st, I think, or something like that. What's the date on that for Atlanta? Uh, yeah, that's about right. It's that 21st. I just know it's on my birthday because November 20th is my birthday. So you're qualified for the what's the actual event called? It's the something championship, regional championship, regional the RC. Yeah, I was gonna say the regional championship. Um, this hasn't been. I don't know if this has been announced yet or anything like that. But if you watch coverage for that event, you will be seeing a decent bit of me. I uh, I just recently got hired by uh, the people running the event for DreamHack. I will be hosting the Magic event. So, Ross, I got my foot in the door with, with Magic for the big-time coverage. So hopefully, A, we do a good job, and B, we get asked back in the future. Yeah, we get to see each other. It's going to be great. I'm, Dude, I, I have the biggest hug for you. 
<laughs> so, uh, can't wait. So if anybody listening to this, you know, any of our Discord people, any of our followers, listeners are going to be at the event queued for it, hanging out, doing whatever, make sure to come up and say hi to us. Uh, I should have a lot of free time on my hands because I'm just I'm not doing actual casting because the casting is going to be done remotely. So I'll just be doing hosting. Stuff. So I'll probably have a decent bit of time in between rounds and stuff. So I'll probably come over, watch some of your matches, etc. I'll be the dude in the suit walking around <laughs> with a camera I, by him a lot yeah. of times. I will hopefully have much less free time. <laughs> yeah, much, much less. Yeah, but still some. And speaking of that, um, that's Pioneer. And, you know, we have the World Championships and Standard going on this weekend. It's really funny. I've actually played more Magic, I think, in the last month than I have in probably, like, like at least those two formats in a while. I've actually played a ton of Pioneer and a ton of Standard. Let's start with Standard. I don't know if you've played much of it. I'm assuming you haven't. I have not played a single game of it, but I did cast a Mana Traders Standard event, um, but that was about a month ago at this point. It was pre-Meat Hook ban. And let me guess, it was just all, like, mostly three, four, five color mid-range decks. Yeah, it was it was Esper Grixis were the most yep. popular. Rakdos uh, Sack did quite well. Unsurprisingly, Rakdos Sack, like, losing Meat Hook was a huge deal for that deck. Um, and it seems like uh, losing Meat Hook was also a big deal for Grixis. Uh, not so much for Esper. I mean, like, so the biggest thing for me is, like, playing the format after Meat Hook is you, those decks, A, don't have the big catch-up mechanic, right? Yeah, and so, that so allows wedding you announcement just, just gets so much better. Yeah, and it also just allows you to play your cards. Like, there's a lot of games where I was like, well, I probably shouldn't play this because of Meat Hook, and then sometimes that allows them to be like, okay, well, now I can play something and use this removal spell, and I can, I can tread water for long enough, and then they eventually do draw Meat Hook once you finally have to play this card. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was harder to more... press your advantage because it left you vulnerable. Now, much easier. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a little more on board with the banning of Meat Hook than I was before, with it being kind of, I thought it was kind of random and heavy-handed. Uh, or meat fisted, you know, <laughs> however you want to call it. But um, when I played the format, especially playing into all of these like dirtily mid range decks, because you know, uh, I'm talking about mostly this is playing online on a line for arena. You'd see Jun mid range, right? You'd see like Bant decks, Grixis decks, like you know, Is it decks, Mardu decks, and then like the five color herd deck and like other stuff. Like they're all cool, right? I played games of all of them. Same thing with Esper. The deck that impressed me the most going into those was the Mono Blue deck. Like, obviously, I'm going to like the Mono Blue Shitters deck, Ross, you know, and you're going to the Delver deck, if people haven't seen it. Um, I think it costs $6 in real life or something <laughs> like that. Like, it's literally the cheapest deck of all time. Um, I, mean, I think if anybody here remembers when you and I were playing a lot of the SCG Open, um, I have a top eight and standard with the Mono Blue deck. In fact, I remember you and you and um, Jim were really disappointed when I lost in that top eight because you thought that was the tournament I was going to win because it was set up really well for me to win it. In the, in the yeah, I just had to win the mirror in the top eight. And, yeah, uh... it could be a cakewalk after that. Yeah, and uh, we lost the mirror and the other guy won the tournament very easily. So, <laughs> you know, that's how the cookie crumbles. But I think that deck was like $34 or something like that. And it's only because it got popular and one of the uncommons was like three bucks or something, you know? This, this deck is like a fourth of that. I'm sure maybe it'll go up a little bit, but you know, if you wanted a deck in standard that's playable, that's actually pretty good. This is the cheapest you will find in quite possibly your lifetime. It has like almost no rares in it. They're not really played, and the lands are pretty much all basics. I think it's like 18 uh, islands, and like you can maybe play an Otawara or something along those lines, you know, kind of thing. But I found that it was really, really good against almost all the other decks, like all the mid-range decks and stuff. The one that I could have problems with that they played well, and you know, I didn't draw what was Esper mid-range. The reason I bring this up, Ross, is in front of me, I have the standard metagame for the World Championships, okay? 
Um, there's about, let me take a count here, there's about nine different decks represented, all of which have one or two people playing that deck, except for the top deck, which has 22 people playing it, Ross, for a rounded up percentage of 69% of the tournament. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, so Esper Midrange had 22 people register it this weekend. Now, here's the thing. It's the best deck, right? They, they found that it's the best deck. This is a smaller event. You know, it's got maybe like 30 people in it. You know, smaller testing groups. I think there was a group of 10 people possibly working together and a bunch of groups of like four. And if that, you know, one or two of those groups is like, yeah, we just think Esper's the back. You're, you're obviously going to have a lion's share of the metagame playing that deck. Uh, I still think that right after the mute hook band, this is just not good optics for this format. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. Especially because it seemed like the metagame, it, it seemed like the metagame was more diverse pre-ban. Yeah, maybe. Like uh, what what you, what you did was effectively take away the best way to answer wedding announcement, and then effective, and that means you you've privileged wedding announcement yeah. above the other mid-range decks. Now the, the only way to now. beat wedding announcement yeah. is to go way over the top of it. So rather than pair your Orzov cards with red or green which might be better in mid-range matchups for some reason, you need the blue counter spells to stop the decks that are going over the top mm-hmm. of you with things like Titan of Industry or um, the the Gix Saga, the like yeah, reanimator sure. decks. Yeah. Uh, like Stuff like that that could just kind of overpower what Wedding Announcement is doing. So you just have your you know awesome black core cards that still exist, your unbeatable white threat and Wedding Announcement, your counter spells to stop people going over the top of you, and then whatever awesome gold cards you can play, like Rafine and Denik and, and things like that. Yeah, those cards are amazing, by the way. The effect of the game that Rafine has on it is kind of unreal. And I think you hit the nail on the head there with talking about wedding announcements, because it seems like to me that's what pretty much the linchpin of the entire format now is the three-man enchantments more wedding announcement than um, the Kikijiki one. Uh, Reflection of Kikijiki, is that what it's called? Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Fable of the Mirror Breaker into Reflection of Kikijiki. Yeah, like that thing. Yeah. Um, those cards are busted in pretty much every deck other than like mono blue or the monocolor decks has some form of one or both of those cards in their deck in standard right now. So that is where standard kind of pinches around. It's turn three, casting one of these jammits and doing stuff with it and getting a bunch of value and stuff. So that seems like standard in a nutshell for me. Um, I will say this. I don't think you need to ban anything. I don't think we need to take any drastic measures. There's a new set on the horizon, which we'll be getting into right after our next segment. Uh, we're going to be talking about all the new cards from the new set that have been previewed today. Uh, this is, just so everybody can know, this is Thursday afternoon. Uh, I'm recording at about 4 p.m. right now. You're 5 p.m. So we yeah. had a bunch of cards get revealed today. So I don't think we need to do anything drastic in the format just yet because we have a whole new set coming out, and hopefully there will be cards other than black that are good. Yeah, and Honestly, it just seems like they saw a metagame that was pretty bland. You know, it's just a mid-range grind fest. And tried to do something about it and kind of failed. And Because I think they, they, they misunderstood what the issues in the format were. The main issue is that there's no good way to be aggressive. So mm-hmm. the, the quality of cheap removal and cheap advantage generating threats is so high and the, and the depth of those cards especially in black that you just can't really get underneath anyone with any sort of aggressive strategy so once once you have a, a metagame like that where one pillar 
of a typical metagame is gone, the aggro pillar, it's very easy for the mid-range deck to make sure that it beats the, you know, ramp or control decks. You put, you put blue in your mid-range deck, and, and you're generally pretty good. So, uh, it, it really... I don't think there's much that could have been done with regards to, you know, making bans, because you would have to ban, like, 10 cards or something in order to fix such a major structural issue that really all you can do is wait until the next set and hope that that set starts filling out some of these aggressive shells that exist but aren't quite good enough to compete. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I... I'm going to hold my judgment because it doesn't look like this is going to be a set where there's a bunch of aggro cards, but we just haven't gotten those printed or previewed just yet. So we'll get into that in just a minute. Let's talk a little bit of Pioneer because we got a lot of that coming up. You know, we got the RC coming up. Uh, people are still running RCT2s, and I've seen Pioneer be one of the formats that gets used quite a bit. Um, so for me, honestly, straight up, not the biggest fan of this format, but I think it's just because of, like, it could possibly be a little bit of the stale. You, you seem like you wanted to say something there. What were you going to say? Uh, no, I, I agree with you. I think it's just gotten kind of stale. Yeah. It's like, so there's two best decks, and I think it's, like, pretty obvious that it's just mono green and red black. And, like, those are the decks that, like, maybe, okay, that's not me saying they're the only two decks that, like, S tier or whatever you want to call it, whatever the kids are saying nowadays. It's just, those are going to be two of the most represented decks. They're very, very good. And we'll get into, there's a new deck, kind of, fringing on this in a moment um which is cool if there is something new um but those two decks seem to kind of be the thing where it's like if you want to play a deck in this format and you do not beat these decks or you cannot beat one of them your deck might not be playable because you're probably guaranteed to play against this deck like three times during the span of the tournament they're going to be the most represented decks by a margin though i do think there is a new deck that might get represented quite a bit and have you seen this new gruel deck that's getting played a ton the like Willie Edel Gruel deck that's just so, you know Ember Cleave and Lovestruck Beast. Well, yeah, so it's it's changed up quite a bit. We've been playing it a lot, and we haven't liked either one of those cards, and we kind of changing them up a little bit. It's it depends on what you want to do main or not. Like, uh, if anybody knows Steve Mann, man, you know he's got a Pro Tour top eight, uh, an Invitational Finals, and some other stuff. I actually like top eight at a, a Grand Prix with him as a teammate or whatever. Um, he very good player he's been doing really well with it online like he like he won the challenge with it with like four a crow and war main in his deck and stuff like that so the deck is it's like red green deck right that just runs like eight elves uh, a bunch of good three drops it runs a you know two drop with like um scavenger use but it runs a bunch of good three drops with like fable sometimes fable sometimes not it runs like bone crusher and then it runs the really good four and five mana spells in this format which are chariot which is really good against red-black, obviously, and another card that's really good against red-black, but uh, it runs a Crowin War, which is a card that has been pretty good in testing. It's either really hit or miss, but when you take, like, Sheholder or you take, like, uh, the Green Cavalier, if you have anything else with this, it just kills your opponent most of the time because, like, they just don't get their thing back or they don't have it for a turn or two. And then it runs four boats. It runs four Sky Sovereign, which, for my money, right now, is the best card in Pioneer. Is that the best card against every deck? But dear lord, can red black never beat this card in a million years if it resolves and stays in play? Yeah, I mean we've known that for a little while. People are playing for the mirror. There are mono green lists that are playing it uh, in the main, main in some of their board. flex spots. Yeah, it, it is great against it. Yeah, and so you know we've been testing a bunch of the decks, and what we normally do is do we like a deck? Let's take a look at it. 
and then we'll run it through its paces against those three decks, against red, green, red, black, and mono green. And if it can play against those decks, like if it can hold its own, then we'll, when we'll go further. If not, then we don't think it's a, a viable choice for the weekend, which I think is a good way to kind of approach this tournament if you're still waffling on what you want to play. If your deck doesn't do well against these decks, I, I, I dare say I think it's unplayable almost because you're going to play against that like <coughs> half, maybe a little less than half, but like 30 to 40% of your rounds. And like you're just going to take three or four losses or whatever from it. And um, let me see if I still have it pulled up. I had this pulled up about the event. I think it's like the real spot you want to finish in. If I remember, it's top 48. Yeah, the 48 Qs for the Pro Tour. 48 Qs for the Pro Tour. Also Qs you for RCQ too. Yeah. I don't know. You'll probably have to pay for your badge doing it this way. But like that's where it comes in. You get like 500 bucks, right? Which will like pay for like your travel probably, maybe your hotel, and then get you for the next stuff. So like that's where you like really want to finish. And if you're just giving away three, four, or five rounds in a tournament, you probably can't top 48 the event. Now, you could get really lucky, only run into it once or twice, and beat everything else and get a really good metagame call, but I'm not so sure about that. Now, I don't know what kind of testing you've done for this, but we have had a deck that we're a little higher on than I think a few people, and they're going to be happy to hear this. And it's been doing well enough against those three parts of the format that we're going to start going into sideboard games and try it out. And that's creativity in Pioneer. You know, a deck that I was really so high on. Which version? What I are you creativity into? Uh, World Spine Worm and Xenagos. And so, so you're the full yeah. combo version. Yeah, we call it Xenagod, so everybody knows exactly which one yeah. we're talking about. But yeah, There's, there's versions that right. go into Torrential Gear Hulk yeah. and... There's versions that go into Titan of Industry, and then there's the version that's full-on combo. Okay, just for just to be as transparent as possible, we we haven't tried the other two yet. You know, we haven't gotten into that yet because we're just getting to the point where like we kind of like this. I will say this: I do think the red green deck is real, and all the testing has been good. It has one of the most awkward mana bases I've ever seen in my life. You're running, um, especially if you're running Love Struck Beast in the deck. So you have twelve one drops. Then right, you have four uh, four elves, another four elves, and you have four desire as i like to call it you know heart's desire and you have zero forests in your deck yeah and they have four mutavolts in their deck with zero forest like you have a lot of you know stuff that comes into play and can turn one green but like the mana base is wild yeah why are they deck. playing a bunch of lair of the hydras if they oh no that i'm more I'm thinking so so here's the thing it's it's an untapped green source forest. on turn that, one no, that makes sense so it's an untapped green source on turn one it's also another one one for your love shark piece because that is the thing that actually happens is like you're running what, 12 one ones in your deck? And there are times where someone can blink your Love Struck Beast from attacking by just, you know, shooting your elf, which every deck's going to do anyway, right? Like, every deck that has a creature in Wolf Spell is going to kill your elf on one if they can, or kill your elf on two if they can. Feels like they're one high on red sources. But... That's kind of how we felt a little bit, but, you know, playing, again, we're playing a lot of game ones right now. We're not even in the process of going into yeah. super deep into game twos um, yet. Because it's it, interesting the direction they uh, they took on this. I, it well, so there's a lot of different directions it can go. Like you know, we've seen some people trying it nowadays. Like I'm actually a bigger fan of uh, we've cut Love Shark Beast in some of the builds or cut a Crow and Warren some of the builds. We're playing what's the name of the three mana werewolf Stormseeker? You know the one that gives haste plus one plus one haste. Oh, they're all, they're all playing for Reckless Stormseeker. Okay, that's a, that that's was a not a thing to start with, by the way. Like Sman didn't have any in his winning list. Oh, w w Willie did. 
But that, okay, that's well, so like Willie Edel yeah. did well in, in the uh, the showcase qualifier sure. a couple weeks ago. And that was the first time I had seen a deck like this. Yeah. And then, honestly, like I was expecting to see decks like this once Carpalusian Forest entered the format. Yeah. Because I thought that was the way to, to fix the next mana. If had Copper, uh, Copperline Gorge, I think it would be, like, very good. Yeah. yeah. And, he, you know, he was playing uh, uh, Embercleave in the main. And he was, uh, interestingly, he had four Collected Company in the sideboard that could come in. Um, and, uh, like, the way the curve was, it, that was an, uh, there was enough cheap threats to make it work. Now that you've got Chariot and four Sky Sovereign, I think he only had two. Obviously, like, you, you can't do the whole company plan. but. Um, it's it's interesting. I, th- I think people are starting to to try kind of unique ways to to handle mono green devotion because you just can't beat them with traditional removal most of the time um, because their threats are so are are so resilient. In particular, the the three drop old growth troll mm-hmm. uh, and obviously like lava coil exists, but it's just not a very good card, especially post shielded. It used to be that Lava Coil was nice because it could come in against Kalidus and it could come in against Old Growth Troll, and that's just not really a thing anymore because Shieldred is more popular than Kalidus. Uh, and so the Akroan War, obviously great against both. You know, I'm seeing mono blue decks that have ways to you know, take the opposing creatures. Um, you know, even if it's a little more expensive, it, it actually gets the job done. And then they have these, like, four copies of Nissa's Defeat, uh, you know, just hoping to to tag a forest that has a, a wolfalo haven on it mm-hmm. um you know and you, and you can also hit like a kiora with it uh and things like that hit, so does it only hit forest or green planeswalkers it doesn't hit green creatures right it's forest green enchantment or green planeswalker yeah because like if, if it could answer you know any of the creatures as well that would be big because like one of the biggest problems we found with the green red deck is like sometimes you know you get out to an aggressive start but they have a good draw and they play a cavalier and you just stop yeah and that, that's where Boat Stormseeker is really nice. If you yep. could just Boat Haste it, then get two triggers. This is when and... we like Love Struck Beast, because it can also get up to six power with, yeah. with Stormseeker. But then in some of the matchups, I'm not a big fan of Love Struck Beast. It's weird. It's like, I'm not, I would need to play with this deck like a ton to get the, the correct build exactly. And then even then it depends on, your correct build depends on what you think you're going to play against the most game one. And it's infinitely you know, changeable about, like, which four drops you want main, which four drops you want, you know, do you want a Crow and War main, or do you want it side, kind of thing. So, we're trying to figure there's all a, that out. There's a bit of an interesting puzzle right now in Pioneer, because the metagame is largely three pillars, and Mono Green and Rakdos are two of the pillars, but if you've noticed, all of the other Tier 2 decks are just different flavors of beatdown decks. And, pr- and linear strategies. It's mono white humans. It's mono red aggro. It's Atarka red. It's mono blue spirits. It's gruel. You know, it's Abzan grease fang. These are all decks that are trying to end the game very quickly and don't play a lot of interaction. And they all have slight different strengths and weaknesses. But for the most part, they're all good against mono green and bad against Rakdos. Mm-hmm. And mono green is good against is good against Rakdos. It creates this rock, paper, scissors where the linear decks beat green, green beats Rakdos, Rakdos beats the linear decks. And I think we've seen that cycle happen a lot over the last month or so in uh in Pioneer. It it reminds me a lot of the days of Theros era standard, where you had the you know devotion decks in one pillar, 
and then the green decks in another, like the the Domri Corsair decks, and then the the Supreme Verdict uh, Sphinx's Revelation control decks in the other pillar, and green beat control, control beat devotion, and devotion beat green. Uh, and it you know it was just a question of what the metagame was going to look like that weekend, and. You know, we've seen weeks where Rakdos would look like the best, weeks where Green looked like the best, weeks where there was a bunch of aggro, and it just keeps cycling through. The interesting thing to me about the Gruul deck, though, is if you look at the sideboard with all these Akroan Wars and Nissus defeats, it feels like this is a deck that is built more as an aggro deck that to be better against Rakdos, and you're more worried about the Green matchup because they just, no, you know, it's you're you can't right. get underneath them. No, you're 100 percent right, and that's like. You know, I was looking at it originally. I was like, "Oh, it's probably a good, uh, you know, aggro deck against green, and we'll just like slug through Rakdos." And no, it's yeah. been the other way around. Like, you know, and chariot and boat are very, very, very hard for red black to deal with. And then, yeah, especially when you can haste them. You've got card adva- yeah. inherent card advantage from all the adventure creatures. Yeah. Scavenging use is a big threat in the late game. This deck is also one that like deals with the key issue of mana creature aggro decks pretty well, which is flood, because you have seven creature lands with between the layers and mutavaults as well as the Besaju and Sokinson, so nine utility lands in the mana base. You also have a Companion, so that's additional card advantage now that you got rid of Embercleave, but Embercleave is the haymaker against Monogreen. So you've sacrificed significantly in the Monogreen matchup to round out your matchups elsewhere. You know, Embercleave, awesome against Monogreen, horrible against basically every other deck, right? Bad against Rakdos, bad against... It's not the worst against Rakdos, to be honest, because they play Dreadboar, um, but they also can have like a braids and like, you know, it, it's, uh, and, um, there's another instant speed rumble spell that they sometimes have, but in red black, uh, yeah, that's it, not it, fatal push. You go through like a, a couple of different of the terror variants. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, there's like infernal grasp and then there's like, um, the one that's like, if it has no counters or you can remove three counters, yeah, like, heartless act, heartless act. Yeah, I wanted to say heart's desire, but that's the love for all the cards have the same name. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so this this version of Gruul that popped up last weekend and, and did very well, you know, Chariot, Sky Sovereign, Adventure Creatures, Gigantha, a bunch of utility lands, it should be pretty solid against Rakdos. It should also be pretty solid against other aggro decks, like Sky Sovereign and Chariot, both good against aggro. You've got main deck removal and Bone Crusher and Strangle. You've got creatures that play well defensively, and then you just sort of, like, board out your Reckless Stormseekers for, like, a Crowan Wars. I will say this: we've we've liked the lava coils more than strangle. Like we know that you can't hit a uh, planeswalker with it, and lava coil plus scavenging use. Yes, it's a non-bow. I don't think it comes up enough to matter. Lava coil has been important. Like you said, you know, a lot of times you can get blanked by monogreen, and just being able to answer a troll without it coming back is a big deal. Um, and just two mana killed most everything. That's a two, three, or four drop. Almost everything has been good enough. You can answer Adeline against mono white, which is a yeah. big thing. Um, I, I will say this. Like you said, the thing about the green red deck is like we've been beating almost everything with it except for mono green. And like, you know, you beat the random decks too because your deck is very good on curve. The other decks generally don't mess with your curve, right? You know, like the red black deck and thoughts easy, but the other decks don't do stuff. And they're generally playing weaker creatures than you is the big deal. And you're just kind of pushing on them because like all of your, yeah. like your three drops, four drops, and five drops are just better. And that, well, so, and this to me is it. You know, even though you've you've gotten out of the typical, uh, you know, place where the the aggro decks live, you've ju- you've really just reversed it. You haven't gained anything. You've just traded your Rakdos matchup for your mono green matchup. Um, 
and so now you're you're more in the position of like the the mono white or boros mid-range yorian decks that kellen pastor has been playing or like the enigmatic incarnation decks those are the those are the tier two decks that are good against Rakdos but bad against green um and it feels like every deck ha- kind of has that issue and that's why green and Rakdos are at the top of the metagame um and to me i'm not sure why i would want to play any of those strategies and like hope to get the right half as opposed to just playing either Rakdos or mono green and trying my best to figure out how to maximize the one matchup that really matters um and, and, or just like you know making my choice based on whatever I think, whatever point in the metagame cycle we're in for the weekend of Atlanta. So I would have to see some uh, some progression with these gruel lists, but I do think the Akroan War is awesome. Like that, that's a card that I wanted to play in like Rakdos Sacrifice, um, another deck that you know sits in that weird space where it's good against it's good against Rakdos midrange, not good against green. And it's pretty good against the aggro decks, um, but it's really heinous against green. The Akron War could, you know, could do some some good work there. And so, like, you know, we we keep mentioning in passing the aggro decks, and I do want to talk about them for just a minute because you know there is mono red. There's you know mono red splash green for like a Tarkus command and stuff. There's uh, the deck that Ty Anderson's been championing quite a bit with. Like he affectionately calls it the Red Wedding. It's like mono red, but it splashes for wedding, wedding announcement. announcement. And I've even seen some people. Um, start to get kind of um, what's the right word? Like they they figured out ways to make the white a little bit better. I have seen a version that I think at top sixteen the challenge this weekend where it had chained to the rocks main as like a an actual removal spell in the deck that's still you know it's pretty good, right? Like chain to the rocks just kills everything and it removes it from from play, so you don't get die triggers, which is a which is a big deal because the deck sometimes needs to just get through stuff. And doing it for one mana is a big deal. Like there's no one mana red card that removes four and five drops like chain of the rocks does and it still triggers prowess and everything like that so uh kind kind of a fan of that i don't know how good it is but when i saw it i was like that's actually really cool because usually the mono red deck splashing you know um wedding announcement there's there's no white card other than that it's it's just that usually and you know you're playing all these white lands so you kind of have a freebie but i'll say this about the aggro decks they felt good they felt playable the problem is is you need your best draws to beat other people's best draws, and sometimes it's still not good enough. Like if you're on the draw, like if there are other, other decks on the play, or if they interact in just the right way, just the right point, like red-black can still beat you, the red-green deck can still beat you, mono-green can just out... Like they can just put a troll into play, you don't have a way to kill the troll, and then it's going to spiral out of control very quickly from there. Because if they have a Nykthos, now they have extra mana. And they're going to get o- over you very fast. Yeah, and this is one of the reasons why um you know if i'm gonna play if i'm gonna play uh one of the non you know top two decks i would actually prefer to be in the i beat mono green but lose to rakdos spot than the other way around because i think it's easier to have a pretty big edge on mono green because the deck is so straightforward and what it does yes, here's what and I do. so rigid I do every game i don't change <laughs> yeah um so you're able to just you know create a pretty significant edge I don't think Ra- Rakdos. I think has just a lot of close matchups, and some of them yeah. are you're behind, some you're ahead. But it's hard to get more than you know fifty five percent against them. So I think it's a lot easier to do that against Green. 
yeah, like I 100% agree with you with that. Actually, the more you you make that statement, the more I'm just like that just makes sense. The the other issue then is that the those decks that tend to be better against green, worse against Rakdos, uh, don't have as good of a matchup in the other linear right. matchups. Like mon- so, like Mono White, I think is a good example. Very good against green. Uh, a little behind against Rakdos, but yeah. you know, pretty very behind against Grease Fang. I think yeah. um, doesn't like playing against a lot. You know, certain builds of red where they have Chain Whirlers and things like that. Um, you know, could you know? I, I wouldn't really like to play against this fucking Gruel deck with Mono White. I can tell you that too. Like Bone Crusher Giant, Love Stork Beast, Cheap Removal, Chariot, and Sky Sovereign. Yeah, and Scavenger Goose. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a nightmare. Like, you actually like it's really funny because like. It's not like they have to interact a whole lot, right? Like, they're going to do something on one, most likely. They're going to Bone Crusher you, prob- probably, or, like, Scavenger Goose you on two. And then, like, after that, they've got Lava Coil plus Sky Sovereign. And then, or if you somehow can, like, start flooding the battlefield, they do it just as well as you do. Like, they're going to put a Chariot into play, and then, like, what are you going to do? You know, I'm not saying there's, you don't have draws to beat them. Like, that, that just happens, right? Like, that's magic. But, like, it's not a matchup that I'd want to play against. And then, in their sideboard... They do get to upgrade just a little bit, right? You know, usually they have like a few more removal spells or ways to interact, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, some... Crown War and Rending Volley, like, it's pretty good. Yeah. Rending Volley is pretty freaking good, right? It's just one mana terror, like, in that matchup most of the time. It's just kill everything, right? And, like, that's kind of scary to be on the other end of that card as well, where, like, they get to upgrade their removal to just one red mana point at something and it They just have Red Elemental Blast for your white cards. Like, you know, just point at something and it dies, kind of thing. And it's kind of scary. And, so, I don't know, man. The format's wild. And, like, it's, it's you know, moving forward, at least there is, like, a newer deck that's come on the horizon, which I like. Cards that are starting to go way up in my estimation in this format, and I'm surprised we're not seeing more of them, especially out of red-black, is I think a braid has become a little bit more playable, and I wouldn't be surprised if we started seeing Colagon's Command again. Almost every deck has two targets for you now. Almost every deck you can be like, shoot something, shatter something or shatter something discard or shatter something get back my bone crusher shoot your other thing or something you know what i mean like we've had plays like that where they're like play a boat kill your thing you're like okay shatter the boat get back my bone crusher bone you know stomp your creature play my bone crusher and i'm like that's not a bad like rotation of play you know i I wouldn't want to play too many of them just because there are also a lot of matchups where you need to interact early and often so your curve is important yeah also like it's an interesting thing, too. I 100% agree with that. And, like, the more we've played, like, again, going back to the deck that's slightly in... If I had to play this event tomorrow, I would be playing Creativity. And, like, if you played against a deck like Creativity or some of the other random decks going on, um, I have found Color Guns Command actually be okay in those matchups, too, where, like, yeah, you might not have targets to shock, but, like, killing one of their treasures and making them discard a card or something along those lines, or killing their token from um, Fable and making them discard a card, super relevant. Like, you just need to contain their board while having some form of a clock, which makes the two drops really, really important in the red-black deck, which is funny because, like, they're generally the worst cards, but they're just necessary. Like, in some matchups, those cards are embarrassing to cast. Like, that's what makes Mono Green pretty good against red-black in some spots is, like, yeah, you can draw multiple of your two drops and then they don't do anything, you know, kind of thing. And, like, you're not interacting. So, in game one, it can be kind of rough. I will say this. um, The biggest thing for us as red-blue is finding the right sideboard configurations because a lot of people are going to be like thought seizing you and dressing you after sideboard and so our plan for that matchup is like you know we're possibly on the, on the plan of like bringing in hallbreaker horrors and karanos 
and just being like, yeah, nice duress, nice thought sees. I'm a really bad red blue deck now, a really bad red blue control deck, but it's going to be good enough to beat you, kind of thing. You know, like just try to just try to weather the storm, maybe yeah. blank their, you know, yeah, if you want to thought seize one of my early cards, whatever, that's fine. You know, kind it's of the same but, thing Twin used to do in modern. Yeah. Yeah, against against counter spells where like they're really good against, you know, stopping exactly indomitable creativity, it's fine. We'll just board out that, board out the two the two bricks and just bring in more shark typhoons, hullbreaker horrors, and like mystical disputes. You know, just do that kind of thing. You know? Especially if like you're on the draw, right? Like if you're on the play, maybe you do still want to be like, you know, there's so much to figure out. You know, and like so the more I play the format, the more I'm like, it's fine. I don't love it. You know, I don't hate it, but I do feel like after this event, something might need to be dress- addressed out of mono green because of the point that you made earlier, where you're like, it just always does the same thing, so it's easier for you to find a, a deck that's good against mono green because of the fact that mono green presents the same 60 to you 99% of the time in a tournament. They almost never sideboard, right? And a deck that does that and is the best deck in the format you can make arguments as problematic. The fact that, look, they never need a sideboard. Your deck is extremely consistent. It just always does the same thing. Well, maybe we should trim that down just a peg. Yeah. You know? I I do think Nykthos is, is problematic right now. It's that or Kong, Though, right? the one thing I, I think right uh, about Pioneer is that it part of the stagnation over the last few months has been a lack of high-level tournaments. You know, most big paper events have been modern. There's a little bit of Pioneer played in, like, team events. NRG as team events, yeah. Yeah, that's about it. Maybe there's, like, the 5 camp Sunday. But I think there hasn't been a huge incentive for players to really innovate. Um, and the RC is going to be that incentive. So it's no surprise to me to see now, about a month out from that RC, when the, the, the qualifier season is over, the field is set, you know, everybody who's qualified who is going to be qualified is, except for the few that get in at LCQs. And so now I think people are turning their attention to that tournament and saying, okay, like I want to do really well. I'm going to put some work in. And we're starting to see players get a little bit more creative in solving some of these longstanding issues in the metagame. Like how do I interact with old growth troll? How do I get my aggro deck to beat Rakdos? How do I, you know, how do I match up, you know, my aggro deck against all of the other ones that exist? Because you know that's where those those decks get interesting. Yeah. You know that they all tend to have bad Rakdos matchups, good Monogreen matchups, but which ones are the best in the aggro mirrors? You know, if there's not a lot of aggro, maybe Spirits is better. If there is a lot of aggro, maybe you know Gruul is better. Uh, so there's a lot of small questions that that can be made. And honestly, like the metagame seems like it's in such a delicate, uh, you know, stasis right now. If you're able to find the right configuration for a deck like Gruul or, you know, find the right sideboard for creativity, that could turn the entire metagame on its head because it could, you know, completely uh, suppress one of these top two decks that we've seen. And that's going to, you know, then have a ripple effect through the metagame in terms of what other things get better and worse. And I'm glad you mentioned Spirits, too. It's a deck we haven't really talked much about. It actually won the challenge uh, over the weekend. And I've played with the deck. You know that's my kind of deck. It's my kind of magic. I, you know, I love these decks. I'm not sure that deck's it. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe it's just for my limited testing, it just didn't do very well. But just felt behind in a lot of the games, and like felt like it wasn't really my like. There wasn't a lot that I could do. You know, it's not as interactive as like the old You'd standard think. version. That's yeah. more creature heavy. 
uh, and you gotta treat it as such. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was the problem. Maybe I was playing a little too reactive with my spell callers and stuff, you know. And oh, you're, you're talking Bant spirits. I was talking Mono Blue. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen Mono Blue spirits in a little while. Bant spirits has been the one because Collected Company is still a messed up Magic card. It's still very, very yeah, powerful. Those are, those are two very different decks. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but the, you know, I was playing Bant spirits and. Yeah, I mean, like, if you find matchups where, like, in, you know, game one, you, you can get in some spots where it's rough for you, where if, like, certain of your cards just aren't good, like, if, like you know, I've played some matchups where Skyclave Apparition just isn't very good game one, and you draw, like, multiple of them, like, you're in, you're gonna have a big problem, because you just have this 2-2 that doesn't really do much, you know, that's taking up a card in your hand, or two, so, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, let's take a short break from this discussion and talk about our sponsor, Ross. Let's say, have you used any Barrister and Man products recently? Your beard's looking very nice. Oh yeah. Um, He's like, yeah, you know, course, I don't think it is. I don't think I've cracked anything new. I'm at the point. I'm I'm almost at the end of a bottle of, of hand soap. So we'll get a new one once that's done. I'm like almost through the the first bar of soap from the last uh, the last shipment. Like you know, it takes me like three weeks to get through a bar of soap because yeah, they're same. they're big bars. Yeah, they last a ton. Um, I'm a big fan. Those, you just mentioned my two favorite things recently is the bar of soap and the and the and the hand soap because. A, they're great. B, I love the way the products are made. And C, I love the way that they smell. You know, I've been a little sandalwood uh, action lately. Love that scent for this stuff. Uh, not to mention, they just work. I'm, I'm going to come out and say this, and it's, it's not just because they're a sponsor. My skin on my face, my body, my hands, everything has really thanked me. I've had clearer complexion, smoother skin, better shaves than I've ever had in my life without using these products. And I'm a huge, huge fan. And I think you will be too if you try them at home. So that's barristerandman.com. Man with two N's. Ross, what's the code? It is MTGRANTS15. There's a recent change in the code. So be sure to make note of that. MTGRANTS15. That's all caps. MTGRANTS15. Yeah, and that'll give you 15% off of your first order with this code. If you have ordered in the past and used the code before, but not this one, you will still get 15% off. So make sure you do that. And uh, I think whenever the code gets changed again, because it will, you know, you'll be able to do it again. All the codes are, uh, you know, the first time use. So make sure you get your 15% off. And it's what, the, the 27th of October right now. So it's about to get crunch time for, for holiday shopping for people. I know a lot of people, you know, choose either Thanksgiving or Christmas to go home if you have to like travel a lot. So if you're doing Thanksgiving this year instead of Christmas, you might want to have your gifts, you know, ready for then. These make great gifts for any of the significant others or the friends in your in your life. I know that I am giving out a lot of Barrister and Man this holiday season. And hopefully no one gets Smart. offended. Hopefully no one gets offended by it. They're like, wait, you just got me soap? I'm like, yeah, man, you fucking smell. Clean it up. <laughs> clean it up, man. Just clean it up. You know, kind of thing. But uh, not just products for men. Lots of stuff on there for, for women as well. Just, you know, that significant other in your life, that friend in your life, maybe needs to upgrade their... their, their uh, Personal hygiene routine, I think, is a good way to put it. So make sure you check out com Again, that's man with two ends. But yeah, back to Pioneer. Overall, I, you know, we didn't even talk about Arclight Phoenix either as well. And like, that's a deck that like someone's still going to play that deck. You know, it's definitely regulated itself from it used to be like it, it used to be where mono green and, and red black is, where it was like, this is the deck you have to, like, you're going to play against it two or three times, you know, blah, blah, blah. Now you can go through multiple tournaments without ever seeing this deck and stuff, but it is a deck that people are going to own. There's still really powerful cards in it. Arkley Phoenix, you know, Ledger Shredder, if you're playing Thing in the Ice, these are still very, very powerful cards. You know, uh, you know, Galvanic Iteration mixed with, you know, Time Walk or anything like that, still super powerful if you're doing something like that. You know, you've got pieces of the puzzle, still an absurdly powerful card when paired of Treasure Cruise. 
You can still do really messed up stuff. It's just the format's not as conducive to it anymore. You know, mono green go over the top of this. Red black has a lot of ways to interact with this game one. To, yeah, to the, crush the Rakdos matchup is the real problem here. Yeah, Graveyard Trespasser has done a very good job of hurting a lot of the decks. In these formats, like honestly, you can win a game against them backed on just like Thoughtseize into Graveyard Trespasser and like any other spells in your deck. Just throw random cards, right? Here's here's the Tenacious Underdog. Good enough. You know, here's a Blood Type Harvester. Good enough. You throw any of that stuff in there with it, it's good enough to take down that deck. And so, I think that's how I feel overall about the format. I don't know how much testing you've done so far. I know you're more of a uh, crammer than I am when it comes to formats. So, I don't know if you fully believe everything I said or if you're just going to kind of take it with a grain of salt, but that's where I'm at in this format. Yeah, uh, you know, I, th- I think we're in, in kind of similar places. I'm a little bit resigned to just picking Rakdos or Green. Uh, but I'm definitely going to try out some things. I do like the look of the Gruel deck. Um, I think, you know, I completely agree with you on Sky Sovereign, on Chariot, on, um, and on, uh, a Crow and War out of the sideboard. So all of that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, and that, that style of deck is definitely my jam. You know, lots of, you know, a, a deck that could easily just curve you out and win on turn four. And, but, also can play, you know, into turn 10 and use its creature lands and its inherent card advantage from its various threats uh, to to grind out a game against either Rakdos or, you know, an aggro deck. So that kind of versatility uh, is something I, I really value. So I, I think that list is really interesting. Um, there's a lot of things. I, I've got some brews I want to try. So well, I'm going to be doing uh, a lot of testing over the next, you know, two, three weeks. Yeah, and if you want to get involved with, with us, I'm definitely uh, down to be, you know, bouncing ideas and stuff off each other, which, you know, I don't have to do casting for the event, but I'm here, I'm around people testing for it, might as well. Uh, we do have one more thing we wanted to talk about today. Uh, if you were, again, like I said, this is on Thursday the 27th, we got a couple spoiler cards today, so we're going to go over those and some of the other stuff that got spoiled for the set. Before we get into the actual cards uh, that are in the set, a few of the extra cards got spoiled today. The ones that are going to be in the retro frame, uh, I call them the Leonardo da Vinci blueprint look. And we got some cool ones today. We got Goblin Charbelcher, um, Ornithopter, which seemed to get this treatment for all of them, which is cool because it does get played in a couple formats. And Ashnaut's Altar. Uh, also, all three of these artworks are amazing, Ross. They look great i'm an actual humongous fan of the altar and the char belcher they both look really really good and i'm just a i'm probably gonna end up collecting all this stuff just because it looks really good and i like it i know you're not big on this kind of stuff but yeah i like it yeah um whatever they're yeah, exactly. biggest um we got confirmation that the painland cycle will be finished in the set battlefield forge land raced underground river and brushland were shown today now let's get into the stuff that we that people here really want to hear about the actual cards that we got previewed and we got a couple of mythics previewed today and a couple of rares that are pretty powerful let's start with Phyrexian flesh gorger this one actually has a new ability on it that we haven't seen before so i kind of like this one a lot to talk about it so this is a colors card that costs seven so immediate tron like pops into my head obviously but this is an artifact creature that's a Phyrexian worm it has menace and lifelink it has ward pay life equal to its power it's a seven five now Here's why that card is written this way. It has an ability that we hadn't seen before called Prototype. Now it says, you may cast this spell with a different mana cost, color, and size. 
it keeps its abilities and types. So it has a prototype cost of one black black, and it's a three three. So what you could do instead of paying seven colorless for this, you can pay it for one black black. It becomes a three three. Uh, all the other stuff saves menace, life link, you know, ward three life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It will also still be an artifact creature. Yep. Yeah. So um, I, I gotta say this card looks pretty powerful. Menace, life link, ward, pay three life is fine. I don't think it's like absurd. You know, you're still it's still fighting a lot of the spots, especially in standard of Liliana the Veil, Graveyard Trespasser, you know, any of the other busted three drops, so that's a problem. But I mean this card's cool. <laughs> I mean it's a mythic though, so like I'm not sure we'll see how yeah. good prototype's gonna be. The the weird part about this card is that the relevant part is the prototype part. <laughs> but when you look at it, you're like a oh, seven mana seven five, like you know, dismiss it. Yeah. Yeah. But when you think three mana three three with menace life link ward pay three life, you know that seems reasonable, and you know maybe there is an aggro deck that wants that to fill out its curve, or, or maybe you specifically want to develop artifact synergies in a deck where you know a trained armadon is good enough. I I don't see a home for it in any format right now because of how grindy standard is, and it's certainly not better than graveyard trespasser, um, but. You know, like maybe at some point in the future, a deck opens up for it. It like it, there, there's a sort of narrow range of decks this card could fit in, but if it exists, you know, it, it can see some play. Yep, and uh, try to get through these pretty quickly because we'll we'll touch on all of them. Some of them are going to go pretty fast. The next one's in a conference set called Urza Powerstone Prodigy. It's a legendary creature, human artificer. It's a one three of vigilance, and it has pay one, tap it, draw a card, then discard a card. And here's where it gets interesting. Whenever you discard one or more artifact cards create a tapped power stone token this ability triggers only once each turn um maybe a little on the slow end but like there might be something with this the problem is it's a one three for three mana it's just gonna die to a lot of the stuff if, if you're like because this is like screams combo potential on it and i'm a little yeah if, if it didn't have the this ability only triggers once a turn it would go off potentially with riddlesmith yeah yeah you probably go infinite with that or there's a there's a red card that recently got printed where it's like when an artifact comes into play you make a treasure you know, and you could just like combo off of that, but yeah, I'm not seeing it otherwise. Um, the, this is part of a sort of two card cycle, by the way. There, there's uncommon Urza and Mishra, and then like rare Urza and Mishra, or mythic Urza and Mishra, and then there's the few the the meld ones. Yeah, we're gonna get into that. There's a lot of versions of these cards. I feel like this yeah. is a Star Wars set, you know, back in the day where we used to get like 18 versions of Luke and Darth Vader and stuff. Like that. So this yeah. is pretty cool. But M Mishra works somewhat similarly. You know, also three mana Mishra and red uh, Urza and blue. It's a 2-1, has haste, one tap, discard a card, draw a card. So because it's red, you have to rummage instead of loot. But it says whenever you discard one or more artifact cards, add red, red. This ability triggers only once each turn. So you either get, you know, with Mishra, you sort of get the burst of mana. Um, but with Urza, you get a, you don't get any extra mana that turn. You get a tapped Power Stone token, but it stays around to keep generating mana. Um, notably, the Power Stone's mana can't be spent to cast a non-artifact spell. Yeah. Which does you know severely limit its utility, but in a very artifact centric deck, it could do something cool. Uh, between the two of them, I would lean towards Mishra. You know, ha having haste a lot better than having vigilance, so to be able to use it immediately and at that immediate impact of getting the mana uh, can be you know just really explosive. So I, I doubt anyone sees either of them sees constructive play. That and honestly, they both seem very good and limited. That that's where I think these cards are going to be great. They're both like you know, excellent uncommons that like that tier of uncommon that is better than almost every common, if not all of them. Yeah. And this next card I'm gonna talk about for about two seconds. 
is something that you can kind of combo with these. Uh, this is an uncommon that got previewed as Ashenal's Harvester. The two mana, three one Construct. I'm sorry, Construct. It's an artifact creature. It says when it attacks, you can exile target card from a graveyard. But the big reason I wanted to mention this is bringing back an ability that we've had before. Unearth is back. So for one and a black, you can unearth this card. Um, that seems pretty good with cards like Mishra and Urza at the uncommon spot. I'll pitch this card, I'll get some value off of it, and I'll be able to bring my card back from the graveyard. Yeah, you know? Yeah, 100%. You know, that's... That, I think, is going to do a lot of good stuff in Limited, and then you get to exile their unearth creatures and, and deny them that, that kind of value. So I think that's going to be a big part of this environment from a draft and sealed perspective. Um, as far as Constructed goes, like, it just doesn't seem quite on the level. Like, in, in Standard... It is not going to attack through all the other value creatures. The unearth probably isn't valuable enough, uh, unless the graveyard disruption is super relevant. You know, in older formats, it seems significantly worse than Scrap Heap Scrounger, uh, because you can get your graveyard hate elsewhere. Um, but these just seem like all very solid limited cards for a set where, you know, the graveyard is going to matter quite a bit. Mm. Uh, the next one, we're going to go through the next two cards because they work together. Like you said, we have another meld card. Uh, yeah, this is... and they told us we were getting a third meld card that, you know, so that the other color that wasn't represented in Urza and Mishra got represented. So a green meld card coming here. Yeah, so this is green, obviously. So the first one's going to be a land. It's Argoth Sanctum of Nature. Uh, it enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary green creature. Taps for a green and has an ability. Two green green. Create a 2-2 two, two bear uh, creature token. Mill three cards. Activate only as a sorcery. So, hey, not bad, right? You know, it's a green card that, yeah, it might come into play. I mean, it's a green land that might come into play tapped or whatever, but, I mean, this could be busted and limited, and then, like, you know, in the right deck uh, and constructed, it's just, it's a good way for you to get some value late in the game as well. So, solid card on its own. Let's not talk about what it becomes. Yeah. Um, because it is almost assuredly going to enter tapped in, in most decks. Right. You know, if, if we're viewing this card in isolation, yeah, the, there's not a ton of legendary green creatures around, and you, you got to realize that the, like you have to cast the green creature first, and then have this land enter. Most of the legendary green creatures are you know three, four, five mana, so this is going to be a four, five, or six drop before it enters untapped. But that ability is nice. Um, it itself is not legendary, so you could potentially run you know a bunch of them if you wanted to. Um, you know, not as in a format like standard, like having this kind of utility is nice. It's significantly worse as a standalone utility land than things like Lair of the Hydra or, um, um, you know, Muta Vault and Faceless Haven, the other sort of creature lands that green decks have sure. played a lot of. Hmm. Um, but I'll, I'll get into a little bit later once we read, read the other card. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's the, the exciting part is what it does with, with Titania. Yeah, because it does melt with Titania, Voice of Gaia. It's one green-green for a 3-4 legendary <laughs> creature. It's an elemental. That's very relevant, by the way. Uh, it has a reach. Uh, whenever one or more land cards are put into your graveyard from anywhere, you gain two life. In the beginning of your upkeep, if there are four more land cards in your graveyard, you, uh, if you own both this and the land we were just talking about, you can meld them. So let's talk about this card by itself. It's a reach, 3-4 uh, for three legendary creature. It says... When you one or more lands are put into your grave from anywhere, it gains you life. Cards, this card's certainly playable in standard, uh, especially with you know what it leads into. Reasonable body, you know, these sort of like engine land decks 
usually struggle against aggressive strategies because they need a lot of time to set up. And Titania plays great defense against them, blocking flyers or things on the ground, and also gaining you quite a bit of life. You know, it's not a stretch to think that like you could trigger this basically every turn if your deck is built well. Now, when you meld these to become Titania, Gaia's Incarnate. This is a legendary creature, elemental avatar, star star. It has vigilance, reach, trample, and haste. Um, its power and toughness is equal to the number of lands you control. When it enters the battlefield, return all land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield tap. So there's a reason for you to be milling your lands, obviously. And then it has three and a green, put four plus one plus one counters to target land you control. It becomes a zero zero elemental creature with haste. It's still a land. This card is very good. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's gonna be big gonna <laughs> when it attacks people. it's gonna kill people um, a lot and you're gonna you know you're gonna generate a, a pretty huge mana advantage off of that trigger and then it has a built-in way to use that mana advantage by turning your lands into significant threats notably it turns them into uh threats that are going to stick around even if your opponent answers the titania um and the titania mel if you meld it it's going to meld on your upkeep when all of your mana is untapped yeah, the lands that you get enter tapped, but you can use all of the mana that you have to start uh, turning your lands into real threats and, and make some big attacks. Now, I know what, when we've talked about the, the previous meld cards, Urza and Mishra, I was not particularly excited because you, you know, it, it takes a lot to put the, uh, both of those cards in your deck, and they're, you know, they're not great cards on their own. Um, there is some you know, uh, utility in um mishra and in the artifact that goes with urza what i can't remember what the card that whatever went with called, mishra yeah, is it's but... a big long name yeah whatever yeah um so it's it's those seemed a little bit better to me than than previous um you know sort of iterations of, of this mechanic mm-hmm. um but like you know mishra is still just a you know five mana four four and uh urza is like a three mana two four that these cards stand has... on their own these cards stand on their own better I think. Yes, I, I think they do that and in particular, Argoth stands alone pretty easily because putting lands into your deck is a lot lower of an opportunity cost than putting spells into your deck. And you're able to, you know, Argoth is probably going to stay in play once you, you put it so it's it's harder to break up the uh, the meld while you're setting it up. You just have to protect the Titania. The Titania, you know, is a reasonably sized creature on her own. Obviously, like the activation of Argoth goes with Titania because that's how all these melt cards work, where they they uh, you know have that internal synergy. But just the the opportunity cost being so much lower to put Argoth in your deck than the other cards that uh, Urza and Mishra go with makes me a lot more excited about this meld card than the other two. Same. Which is honestly a, a little weird, given that Urza and Mishra are sort of the the linchpins of the set, like the, the big, yeah. big flash, flashy thing. Yeah. Now they are they are certainly much more powerful cards once you meld them. You know, Titania is good, but it's ultimately just a big creature that can make some more big up. creatures. Yeah. Mishra and Urza, once they meld, uh, do like basically everything. Yeah, they like win <laughs> the game and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, they get you a date for prom. You know, <laughs> sure, sure. Anything speaking, you want. Speaking of Urza and Mishra and another named wizard that we've had in the past that'll have a creature in this, uh, the next three cards we're going to talk about are some of those. And these are the rare versions of these cards. This one I actually like quite a bit and can see this one getting played quite a bit. This is Urza, Prince of Krog? Krog? I, I don't Krug? Know. Krug? Sure. Uh, two white blue for a 2-3 legendary creature human artificer. I love this first line, Ross. Artifact creatures you control get plus 2, plus 2. That, uh, that can kill some people. 
and then got six mana create a token that's a copy of target artifact you control except it's a one one soldier creature in addition to its other types i like this card ross i don't know about you i'm not a big fan of course you're not you're not you don't like fun but i you know obviously there's some pedigree for um tempered steel right mm-hmm. the, the, the double person, anthem yeah. from scars of mirrodin yeah but that was a single color uh you know and cheaper and much more difficult to remove this is a four mana two three i think it becomes you know really the the thing that gets really gets me is that six mana obviously a pretty powerful ability it's gonna need to cost a lot of mana but that puts urza in this category of card i want to stick around yeah and like do a bunch of stuff with but when I read that first line, the double anthem, that's flood the battlefield with Memnites and Ornithopters and get them dead. Yeah. And those two things just don't mesh well together. Yeah. I think this card's going to be a absolute house in limited. Like, this is a slam dunk oh. first pick because you just take yeah. artifact creatures and it's just going to be insane. But yeah. That's 100%. I wouldn't be surprised if this card does show up somewhere. We'll see. Um, the wizard that I was talking about and uh, referring to is the next one. That's Hercule, Master Wizard. One blue blue for a 2-4 linear creature human w- wizard uh, advisor. Uh, let me... All right, here we go. At the beginning of your end step, if you cast a non-creature spell this turn, reveal the top five cards of your library. For each card type among non-creature spells you've cast this turn, you may put a card of that type from among them revealed cards into your hand. Put the rest in the bottom of your library in any order. That is a mouthful, Ross. Just for everybody at home, what this means is you cast an instant during your, you cast a sorcery during your turn. You reveal the top five cards of your library at the end turn. If you reveal a sorcery, you can add one to your hand. And yeah. so on and for if you, non-creatures. And if you cast an instant this turn, you can also find an instant if there's one there. So you could you can draw multiple cards off of each of these triggers. You can find more planeswalkers, more artifacts, more enchantments, um, all of those things. So inter- it's interesting because it it sort of uh like I think the odds of you hitting more and more cards sh- sort of shrinks polynomially. Instead of linearly, you because word, you use the word polynomially on this on this podcast about magic. God, yeah, I hate you. A, uh, because you know the more different types you include in your deck, so that you can potentially draw multiple cards off of one trigger, the less of each type is in there, and the harder it is to hit each one, especially hitting you know multiples within the top five cards of your library. So, I would expect most decks that try to play this are playing it to just you know draw more instants and sorceries, right? Uh, and so, and you're probably going to want to not play as many, you know, planeswalkers and enchantments and other things like that, um, so that you can maximize your chance of hitting and maximize the, you know, the versatility the card brings. It's a pretty like powerful card once it gets going. Like, especially like I just think of a deck that's like, you know, twenty four instants and sorceries relatively evenly split. It's like not that hard to imagine casting a sorcery in an instant and then drawing two cards off of this trigger, but. It's really slow to get going. And the the way to speed it up is to play it with artifacts, like playing Hercule and then casting Mishra's Bauble or Mox Amber and then finding the other one in the top five is really cool. That's uh, but then you're playing a bunch of artifacts exactly. and you're like, I don't know if you can play as many of those. Um, but maybe it becomes more of, a, of an artifact-centered thing where you're playing, you know, in like Paradoxical Outcome or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I'm not super high on it. Same. But it's a, it's a card that I... Could potentially surprise me. Yeah, uh, I I have the the next one in a very similar spot for me. This is Mishra Tamer of I'm not even gonna try to pronounce that. It's it's the five mana Mishra. That's a legendary creature. 
This is the rare yeah. one. This is three black red for a four four. It's a legendary creature, human artificer. Permanents you control have ward. Sacrifice a permanent. Then it says each artifact card in your graveyard has unearth one black red. So this one's pretty interesting. Is like if you have some kind of deck where like you're putting a bunch of stuff into your yard, this could be like one of those one ups where if like you draw it and you play it, you could just go nuts maybe with a bunch of stuff. But I'm not super seeing it. But it's one of those things where if someone finds something to do with this, I wouldn't be like totally surprised. The fact that this one's hard to kill makes it a little better too. It's a four four. It's got a good ward ability, but like. Yeah, but by the time you get to casting a 5-drop, it's not that big of a deal to sack a land, if they need yeah, to. It's kind of whatever. Um, yeah. The next card, yeah. Um, I just think at 5 mana, you, you need more. You know, if this costs 4, then I think maybe we're talking about something, but at 5, like, 5 is a lot. You need, you need to get really, really powerful stuff out of that. I'm going to talk about this comment that they previewed just because I think it's important for like limited and stuff. Uh, this one is Scrapwork Cohort. It's a four mana, five, three artifact creature soldier. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, it creates a one, one colorless soldier artifact creature token and has unearthed for two and a white. This one pairs really, really well with, you know, the ones we're talking about earlier where if you discard artifact cards and stuff like that. So like this card is just going to be one of those like highly picked comments and stuff. Um, yeah. I like that this is a card that you could reasonably like play in any deck because it's a four mana, five, three. But if it's in a white deck, then it's you can really get good. significant value out of it. And that could uh, mean, you know, cards like, um, you know, if they, these exist in the in the format, cards like Unholy Grotto or Shimmering Grotto, like the, the mm -hmm. colorless lands are, are one tap filter to any color. Yep. Those are, the, those are the kind of lands that usually aren't very good, but can help you splash minor effects like this so you can get full value out of your cards. Um so like car lands like that could end up being powerful or just other you know small ways to like rainbow fix like a prophetic yeah. prism kind of really card point. Uh, really point. would would go well so i'm hoping to see things like that uh in this set if we have artifact creatures like this where the unearth cost sort of adds a color to it that you don't need but you want to have access to to in order to maximize the value from your cards yeah not to mention there's something like thirst for knowledge inside or anything like that. all right yeah i i think this it kind of looks like a really sweet limited set. I agree. There's like, it doesn't, it seems like there's a lot of like cool synergies and mm -hmm. ways to generate card advantage. Obviously, we're only like 20 cards in, but yeah. just from what I'm seeing, like the, the idea of Unearth being a major mechanic and giving you a lot of versatility um, and things to do with your mana, that I was like, you know, limited formats like that where it can get really tactical. That leads me into this card that works pretty well. Some of the ones we talked about, this is Splitting the Power Stone. It's two and a blue. I love that name, by the way. Splitting the Power Stone. It just sounds really cool. Uh, two and a blue, Sorcery. Uh, as an additional cost of the spell, sacrifice an artifact. Uh, create two tapped Power Stone tokens. If the sacrificed artifact was legendary, draw a card. Uh, this card screams Break Me all over it. It is a three-mana Sorcery, but this is one of the ones, um, wouldn't be surprised if it showed up somewhere, though it might just, like, these decks might just prove to be too clunky. So we'll see. Yeah, double ramp at three has historically been pretty good. I mean, even double ramp at four with like explosive vegetation. Only obviously, there's significant so. restrictions on this. You need a cheap artifact to sack to it. The power stones only tap to cast uh, artifact spells, um, uh, or abil use abilities or whatever. But you know, if you have a way to consistently be casting this on turn three and then using six mana on turn four. It's really powerful. It's just a question of whether the pieces will exist around it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right, let's get to these last two cards. These are both mythics, and these are pretty cool. Let's start with Gix, Yogmoth, uh, Praetor. 
This is one black black for a legendary creature, Rexian Praetor. It's a 3-3. When a creature deals combat damage to one of your opponents, its controller may pay one life. If they do, they draw a card. Or black, black, black. Discard X cards. Exile the top X cards of target opponent's library. You may play land cards and cast spells from among those exiled cards without paying their mana cost. This card is pretty sweet. Yeah, I don't even really care about the activated ability. Right. Exactly, right? Yeah. Just three mana, three, three that l- turns all of my creatures into Ophidians uh, is, is pretty sweet. I could see this yeah. card in a low to the ground mono black aggro deck. Uh, you know, you really just need the one creature in play to start getting major value, and if you draw two cards in a turn off of this thing, that is awesome. This card is so, very good. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in on this card. This card is going to like possibly like help either revitalize or spawn other ducks. And for the last one, and this is the one that we we kind of got. Uh, Morrow was talking about this a little bit. We get a new Teferi, and this this is Teferi Temporal Pilgrim. Three blue blue, Legendary Planeswalker Teferi, starts with four loyalty. Uh, there is a static. It says, whenever you draw a card, put a loyalty counter on Teferi, Temporal Pilgrim. It's pretty good so far for a blue blue Planeswalker. Uh, zero, draw a card. Okay. Minus two, create a 2-2 two, two blue spirit creature token with Vigilance, and whenever you draw a card, put a plus plus one counter on this creature. Minus 12, target opponent chooses a permanent they control and returns it to its owner's hand. Then they shuffle each non-land permanent they control into their owner's library. This one seems pretty good to me, but five mana is a decent bit, and we have to see how the format works out. But um, it does have two of the big pieces that you need for a Planeswalker, right? Like it has a cheap or free one for card advantage, and then it has a way to technically protect itself. At minus two, I'm kind of waffling back and forth on this card a little bit. I I like it. I think... This is a card that's going to run away with the game pretty quickly if you don't answer it, just because its loyalty keeps going up and up. Um, I don't know how many ways in standard there are to directly answer a Planeswalker right now, um, but this just seems like a difficult card to attack down if you're not able to do it immediately. And you know, when you put Planeswalkers like this in your deck, you tend to build the rest of your deck to clear the way so you can land the Planeswalker. Um, I like that you can, you know... Like you said, I don't really look at the minus two as protecting it because I think yeah. you generally rather have a bunch of lo- extra loyalty. Um, but on a clear board, if you're trying to attack, you know, your opponent down, starting with the minus two and getting this token that is a pretty like s- substantial threat. Like it, it's going to be a three three vigilance on your very next turn at the very least when you're attacking. If you untap with the Teferi, and now you've got at least a four four with vigilance alongside your Teferi that already drew a card. So, uh, you know, that runs, I think that runs away with the game relatively quickly. I mean, I could even see games where you just go minus two, minus two, and then cast, you know, some cantrips or, you know, uh, any other, you know, reasonable draw effect. And suddenly you've got, uh, you know, two gigantic creatures to attack with. Um, so I like some of that versatility. And then, you know, I, it's, I think it's easy to look at the minus 12 and say, like that's going to be a while before we get to that, but it this really is really only fast. four turns. Yeah, it can happen super fast. Like, yeah, yeah, it, it go. You know, if it's undisturbed, you get to six on your next turn, and then eight, then ten, then twelve. And that's so, by itself. What if you do anything else to draw a card? Yeah, exactly. That's just by itself. You know, when you, whenever you cycle a shark typhoon, whenever you, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to think about spending more a ton more mana on casting just draw spells because mm-hmm. when you have a Teferi going. 
you know, you don't need to. You don't yeah. really want to do that, but I don't know. Like, what if you cast a freaking treasure cruise and put three loyalty on it? Sure, Sphinx of Revelation uh, kill you. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, the, the, like yeah. you could. Uh, you know, yes, especially like if you're doing like imagine casting the even the land. Uh, what's the 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 double faced land? Uh, Seagate Restoration or the red one. Like you, you could cheaper. ultimate this card on on turn two turns later with Seagate Restoration. Yeah. Or the or the red one, um, Valakut's Awakening, whatever. You're just like, all right, yeah. like, pitch four cards, draw five, like, yeah. Val- so th- there's there's ways for you to turbo to that ultimate too, mm-hmm. which is a, just another element of this card, yeah. and that ultimate is obviously like obscenely powerful. So yeah, um, yeah, I'm I I like this card. I, I think it's going to be quite yeah. good. Same. Um, at, at least in standard. Obviously, like in the the problem is in in. Pioneer, you have Teferi here of Dominaria, which is just so messed up because yeah. it effectively only costs three. Um, but uh, in in formats without Teferi Hero, I think this Teferi w- will do just fine. And I, I mean, who knows? Like maybe there's like a Demir control deck that you could play and just have this card be a little bit worse, but you gain you know a bunch of other good black cards that you otherwise wouldn't have playing azorius yeah i mean gabe and has been playing one like crazy on his stream for the last few days and stuff so check yeah. that out if you if you want to do something like that maybe throw that into that deck um i gotta agree with you with all those points though definitely think this card is is good I, like i said i waffled back and forth a little bit but i'm more on the good side than on the bad yeah. side it's, it's not as good as teferi hero of dominaria mm-hmm. it's not as good as teferi time raveler it's it's you well, know it is it's <laughs> but it's still good yeah it's still a teferi has, has there been a Teferi card that hasn't been great? Like in not like the in the supplemental kind of products. I know not there's really. been versions of that, but no, not really. So, but because like Teferi, you know, Teferi Mage of Zalfir was a very good card in its day in standard. It was a sideboard card for Twin Mirrors and Modern for a little while. Um, oh, there, there's like a isn't there? There's Teferi Master of Time. That one was kind of eh. Yeah, it's good in Commander or whatever. But anyway. Um, I think that's going to do it for us this week. We covered all the stuff that we wanted to cover. And um, I think next week or whenever we get the next episode out, depending if I'm on it or not, uh, we should have a ton of preview cards. Um, hopefully we'll get an episode out for you next week. We'll try really, really hard. But, you know, like I said, I'm going to be out of town for about five days in California next week. and stuff. So next week's going to be crazy for me. So maybe we'll have a guest. Maybe not. We'll, we'll, we'll look into it. But thanks for listening to this week's episode. Make sure you check out Barrister and Man. And we'll see you all in the next episode. <laughs>